point of impact as we consider what happens when the life of Jesus collides with another life. Now, if you do get on the internet a lot, I need to give you a warning. You are aware that many people send out viruses to infect our computers. And I made the mistake this past week of opening one. So I just want to warn all of you, it's a unique virus. It's called the uh, Amish virus. And I opened it and it said, by opening this email, you have activated the Amish computer virus. Now, since the Amish don't have computers, this works on the honor system. Please delete all your files. Thank you. And I just hate it when that happens. And wouldn't it be great if we could just punch a button and delete everything else we didn't want to remember anymore? The memory banks in our minds are much harder to clear, aren't they? And so we come to this story that for centuries has been called the story of the woman caught in adultery. And I wonder if it would have more impact if we called it the story of the man caught in the act of forgiveness. Now the truth is she was just bait. By that I remember my grandfather that would often go to his fishing spot and catch little tiny perch. He, wasn't, he didn't want to catch those fish to eat them. He caught them to be bait for the fish he really wanted to catch. And that's what's going on here. She's just bait. They want to catch a bigger fish. If they were truly concerned about the holiness of God, they might have come to Jesus with this question. This woman's life is a mess. She's living out of the will of God. What can we do to redeem her? What can we do to bring her back into the ways of the Lord? But that's not on their mind. Because what they really want to do is simply put Jesus in a lose-lose situation. Because behind this story is the understanding in that day... That while the law of Moses commanded the penalty of stoning for adultery, the right of capital punishment had been taken away from the Jews many years before. The Roman authorities held that right of execution for themselves. And so it's been a long time since anybody has been stoned for any of the offenses in the law of Moses. And they know that. But they also know that if Jesus does not call for her stoning, he can't say, I am a representative of the law of God. If he does say stoner and incites a riot, the Roman authorities will be upset. So they figure no matter what he says, he is in a bad place. And so she is just bait. They're simply using her as much as any man she has ever slept with. And when I hear sermons on this story, I usually hear points about, yeah, where's the man? It takes two to commit adultery. 
And we talk about maybe this whole thing was just a trap set up to catch her. And all that might be true. But I think sometimes we miss something very, very important about this story. She committed adultery. She made that choice to violate some other woman's marriage. Adultery is a grievous sin in the eyes of the Lord. It's not in our culture. I understand that. But it's God that created sex. And it's God that created marriage. And it's God who ordained that a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage celebrate through sexual intimacy. And it's God who has said any sexual expression outside the covenant of man and woman in marriage destroys my gift and I hate it. She has done a terrible thing in the eyes of the Lord. Whether she was bait or not, whether she was trapped or not, she made the decision to go to bed with another woman's husband. Notice Jesus doesn't ask her side of the story. She deserved condemnation. And she expected it. But what nobody expected was for Jesus to kneel down, take his finger, and start riding in the dirt. Because Jesus was putting his finger on a bigger issue. The true lose-lose that's behind this story. It's the tension between mercy and justice. God is a God of mercy that wants to embrace and bless the broken and the weak and the fallen. God is a God of justice who has a holy standard that must be met if His righteousness is to be declared. So how can you offer mercy to this woman and not violate justice? How can you... Practice justice and still offer mercy. See, it's not the question, does her sin deserve to be judged? The question is, where should it be judged? And who should judge it? And there's only one person in this story who has the right to judge. Who has the obligation to judge. And he says, I don't condemn you. Now, how can he do that? She committed adultery. He represents the holiness and the righteousness of God. How can he do that? He can do that. Because on the cross, he is going to reconcile justice and mercy. He would not condemn her. Not because she didn't sin. Not because adultery will not be condemned. Adulterers will be thrown in the lake of fire. Read it in the Bible. But he didn't condemn her. Because he was willing to be condemned 
for her. And when Jesus was on the cross and the sky went dark and he screamed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all of God's wrath was poured out. Do you realize one of the sins that was put on Jesus was this woman's adultery? Jesus doesn't sweep sins under the carpet. Jesus puts sins under the blood. And that's how a woman who came expecting to meet a judge left knowing a Savior. See, here's the point. Jesus condemns condemnation. At the cross, Jesus turned lose-lose into win-win. Mercy and justice met. And both were completely satisfied. And in the amazing wisdom of God, the only one qualified to stone became the only one qualified to be stoned In our place. He was both. The only one qualified to hold a rock. And the only one qualified to take a rock for you. And so Paul can say in Romans 8. There is no condemnation now for those who live in union with Christ Jesus. What the law could not do because human nature was weak. God did. He condemned sin in human nature by sending his own son who came with a nature like our sinful nature to do away with sin. And so in Christ, God has condemned the sin that would have condemned us. And so now forgiveness is free because forgiveness was so costly. Now, this is a different way to read the story, isn't it? Have you ever just been caught up in the wonder of the man who was caught in the act of forgiveness? And it should have an impact. As people whose sin has been condemned, It should have an impact. For one thing, forgiven people are rock droppers. Because this story is not whispering that sin isn't that bad. This story is shouting that no one is that good. I personally think Jesus wrote something to that effect on the ground. To our knowledge, it's the only sermon he ever wrote. And I don't know what he wrote. I personally think he might have written something like Paul quoted in Romans 3. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. The actual Greek word katagraphane means to write against. I'm not sure what he wrote, but whatever it was, it made people holding rocks feel nervous. Three reasons I ought to be a rock dropper. Number one, 
I don't know your backstory. There are reasons people wind up in the places they wind up that we don't know. Number two, I don't know anyone's heart. I know a lot of people fall short of where they want to be. And in their heart, they want to be better than they choose. I, I don't know anyone's heart. But most of all, I should drop rocks because I'm not qualified. My sin has disqualified me. Jesus says, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. To condemn justly requires one qualification. Perfection. Here's what happens. We look at people that are mostly sinful, and I'm only sometimes sinful. And so in my sometime sinful state, I somehow think I have the right to judge mostly sinful people. How foolish. If you think like that, you're still not caught in the wonder of forgiveness. Do you understand that when we throw stones at people, we're throwing stones at the gospel? Heard an amazing story some years ago. A woman who had lived a very hard life with drugs and prostitution. She came to Christ and her life was really transformed. And she joined a church and she got engaged. She even started working in the children's ministry. And the pastor's son noticed her and they entered into a relationship That wound up with him proposing. And that's when it got touchy. People began to murmur. And before long there were some people meeting with the pastor. Saying it doesn't look good for your son to be engaged to a woman with her history. She began to cry. And the son stood and said. My fiance is not on trial here. The blood of Jesus is what's on trial here. So you need to decide, does Jesus' blood wash away sin or not? And I'm told many began to weep as they realized they were throwing rocks at the gospel. You know, I uh, was writing this sermon this week and a thought came to me. I hope it was from the Holy Spirit. And I got up and I walked into the worship center at the North Richmond Hills campus. I said, the only rocks I think I can remember in this whole room are at the baptistry. And there just seemed to be something really appropriate about that. Because it says, put the rocks down and get in the water. The gospel calls us to be rock droppers and excuse droppers. Forgiven people are excuse droppers. Now, I don't know if you heard this story, but a few years ago, the New York Yankees opened a brand new ballpark. They spent $1.3 billion on their new baseball stadium, and everything came to a halt When they found out that in the construction of the stadium, one of the construction workers who was a diehard Boston Red Sox fan, their mortal enemies, hid a jersey of David Ortiz, the best player for the Red Sox, in the concrete of the stadium. 
When they found out, they went looking for it. They stopped everything. It took five hours. It took $50,000 to dig through two feet of concrete to find and get rid of that stadium. Let me tell you something. Excuses are expensive. I don't see why they were worried about some curse because everyone knows God has already cursed the Yankees. No one else needs to help. (laughs) Excuses are expenses. Please notice, regardless of how she was treated, regardless of the fact that she was used, regardless of the fact that to these men she was just bait, the fact remains Jesus didn't let her play the victim card. He never loved sinners by pretending that sin doesn't matter. Now, the past may explain how you got where you are. And there may be some folks that owe you an apology. But let me tell you, the past does not excuse you from the becoming The person God calls you to be. And Jesus says to her, you go now and you leave your life of sin. Now forgiven people are not sinless. But they do intend to sin less. The gospel doesn't mean we pretend we're perfect. It does mean we intend to be perfected. We do intend to let the Holy Spirit do His transforming work in us because we're not who we used to be anymore. Romans 2 verse 4, can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Listen to me. The gospel is not straighten up. And you'll be forgiven. But the gospel is. You're forgiven. Now straighten up. The gospel sets us free from if only to be next time people. Instead of if only this and if only that and if only that and if only this. It's next time I don't lose my temper. Next time I treat her with respect. Next time I honor my government. Next time I guard my purity. Next time I stay away from that website. Next time. Because I am a forgiven person. My life has collided with the man caught in the act of forgiveness. And there has been an impact. And maybe the biggest impact is on all those memories you want to delete. Norman Vincent Peale wrote that some years ago he was visiting Jamaica. And he noticed in a hall of the hotel where he stayed an old map of the island. And in one very uninhabited part of the island, in very faint lettering, he read the words, The Land of Look Behind. So he went to ask the hotel owner and he explained that In the days of slavery, when someone would run away from one of the sugar plantations, they would go to that part of the island where they would often be chased by authorities with guns and with dogs. 
constantly looking over their shoulder to see if their pursuers were getting closer. What a terrible way to live. Always looking behind. We do that, you know. Isn't it interesting we call her the woman caught in adultery? Why don't we call her the woman forgiven by Jesus? We call her Rahab the prostitute. Why don't we call her Rahab the great-great-great-grandmother of David? We call her Bathsheba the adulteress. Why don't we call her Bathsheba the great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus? I think this woman saw herself as the woman caught by the gift of forgiveness. I think she built the rest of her life on a better rock. Because forgiven people are name droppers. Everybody has a closet full of regrets. And one reason those files are hard to delete is because we remain susceptible to the assault of the accuser. This is what the book of Revelation calls the devil. And you've been there. You're taking a shower. You're driving to work. You're just on a walk. And all of a sudden it comes back. The haunting memory of that time you were caught in the very act of something that was a stench. God. You see, Satan owns a travel agency that specializes in guilt trips. And you can't shut him up. But Jesus can. He noticed the woman and she never speaks until Jesus speaks to her. Jesus stood up to speak for her. And he does for you too. Romans 8. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that who was raised to life. Is at the right hand of God. And is also interceding for us. Do you know that Jesus is speaking for you. Just like he spoke for her. You need to let Jesus have the floor. And so, this brings me to one of my all-time favorite illustrations. I tell it every three or four years. It's time to hear it again. His name was Steve Winger. He's a senior at Texas Tech University. He saved a very difficult class in the field of logic for his last semester to graduate. He's got a pass to graduate. It's a difficult course. The final was notorious for being hard. A week before, the professor says, you can bring anything you can put on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper to help you pass this final. So they crammed and they studied and they wrote as small as they could on that sheet of paper, just covering it with knowledge that might help them pass that final. The day comes for the exam. Everybody's sitting in their desk with their sheet of paper. And in comes a student with a blank sheet of paper, puts it on the floor by their desk. And then in walks a student in a graduate course in the field of logic and stood on the sheet of paper. (laughs) 
And it was the only person who got an A on the exam. Because someone stood up to speak who knew what to say. The enemy is going to attack you with those memories. The enemy is going to assault. He's going to accuse. You need to drop Jesus' name on him. And he'll drop that rock. We're forgiven people. This thought came to me recently. I was at another church and I was worshiping. And I heard a song in a new way that we've sung many times. You know the chorus. Christ is risen from the dead. Trampling over death by death. Come awake. Come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? It's a powerful song that celebrates the resurrection of Jesus. But what is it about the resurrection that fills us with such hope? It's simply this. The resurrection was God validating the victory at the cross. The resurrection is God announcing that condemnation has been condemned. And that's why the song starts with these words. Let no one caught in sin remain inside the lie of inward shame. We fix our eyes upon the cross and run to Him who showed great love and bled. For us. Her adultery was put on him. Your binge was put on him. Your abortion was put on him. Your divorce was put on him. Your temper. Every sin was put on him. And he condemned. Condemnation. I feel this every time I preach. You know what my life verse? It's in Hebrews chapter 12. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Listen, loved ones, online, South Lake, North Richmond Hills, wherever you are, listen. It's not the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. It's the story of the man caught in the act of forgiveness. And it's your story. Don't miss the grace of God. Oh God, you're going to have to have your Holy Spirit do His thing. He's going to have to take my feeble words and he's going to have to build a bridge into hearts. We get it in our head. We have trouble getting it in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, build a bridge. Please come in a powerful way to every person hearing me right now. That we could be caught in the wonder of the story of the man caught in the act of forgiveness. 
No more look behind God. No more making excuses. No more playing the victim card. No more settling for life beneath our calling. No more. No more. Because we are forgiven people. I pray right now that every heart hearing me will receive your grace afresh. Whether it's for the first or the one thousand and first time. Help us, God, to catch the gift of forgiveness. For Jesus' sake, amen. Could I ask everyone now to stand? And we're going to have people in place wherever you are to receive your prayer request, to receive your confession, to receive your desire to put on Christ in baptism. Whatever it is, let's sing these words. And let them go deep as we praise Jesus.